We continue in our regular January series as we have for the previous three years uh, by um, examining this morning uh, racial reconciliation. Uh, if you don't know, if you're new to the crossing, each year we take the first Sunday of the year to examine the Word of God and, the, and our devotion to the Bible and how we engage deeply in the Word because we are a people of the book. God has chosen to reveal himself through Christ Jesus and we know Jesus through the testimony of eyewitnesses that have been recorded in the Bible. So we are dependent upon the scriptures in order to know and obey and follow God and have life in him. The Bible's alive. It's alive in us. And then the second Sunday, we dig deep into prayer. This complete dependence that we have on God um, that's demonstrated through prayer. Everything that really matters that we want to see happen in our life is dependent upon God working and moving. Everything that really matters we want to see happen in our families, in our church, in our city. We need God to move. And in prayer, we demonstrate how dependent we are on him by coming to our Father with bold requests to ask him for anything. Then the third Sunday, we dig into, uh, deep into racial reconciliation, which coincides with Martin Luther King holiday, which is tomorrow. And then the fourth Sunday, we dig, dig deep into sanctity of human life, which coincides with Sanctity of Human Life Day, which is January the 22nd, which marks this year the 46th anniversary since Roe v. Wade made abortion legal throughout America. And sadly, now over 60 million uh, babies have been murdered in our country, uh, disproportionately babies with dark skin. What we love about the way we begin the year is we begin with two obvious essentials to Christianity, the word and prayer. This is Christianity 101. Every church talks about our engagement with the Bible and our engagement with God in prayer. And then we end with two not as obvious essentials that should be obvious, that our faith is not a faith to be lived out in the safe confines or holy huddles or a cruise ship church, but our faith is a faith that calls us to enter the darkness and sadness of the world as Jesus did and to engage in issues that the church should be engaged in to bring the hope of the gospel to bear. Racial justice issues, sanctity of human life issues, generally speaking in our country, have been uh, uh, favored by one side of the political spectrum versus the other side. Typically in our country, it's been the left that's spoken up for racial justice issues and the right that's spoken up for sanctity of human life issues. Typically, and to whatever degree that might be changing and to whatever degree both sides have failed in the past, generally that's been the case. But we are the Jesus party. We're not in the pocket of any political party. And so we speak into both of these issues. We push back on all parties and advocate for the issues that matter to Jesus. And we would definitely include harmony among different races or ethnicities of people and the value of human life from conception to the final breath as issues that Jesus cares about. And we're tying this month these four topical sermons together under the theme for the mission. In the past two weeks, I've personally been encouraged, and I know a lot of you have too because we've shared this together, and my heart has been inflamed to engage God deeply and consistently in his word and to run to my Father in desperate prayer, to ask him for anything. My prayer for us this morning is to also have our hearts inflamed again, or maybe for some, for the first time, for racial reconciliation. Some people dismiss this issue by saying things like, well, the term makes no sense because it's only one human race. So how can the human race be reconciled with the human race? 
obvious to everyone, and I, I wish that argument would just go away because it's ridiculous. When we say racial recon- reconciliation, we're implying different ethnicities. More specifically to our context, Caucasian people, black people, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, biracial, Native American, non-European white people who live here in Monroe, according to the census. And whatever level of pigmentation they have in their skin and whatever countries show up in their DNA profile. We desire for the gospel to get to all people so they can enjoy Christ always by following him and being changed by his gospel. That's what we're after. And we desire to have lives that reflect this and a church body that reflects this and a city and a region that's more characterized by racial and ethnic harmony than racial or ethnic strife. A city and a region that's more characterized by racial or ethnic healing and empathy than racial or ethnic arrogance and animosity. So, so just in case you don't know, Washtenaw Parish is made up of currently 58% white alone, 37.5% black alone, this is how it's listed on the census. 2.3 Hispanic or Latino, 1.3% mixed race, and 1% Asian out of a population of 156,000 people. Washoe Parish, like the rest of America and even the global church, is darkening. The church is exploding in parts of the world populated by people of color, people who are non-white. South America, Latin America, Africa, Asia. And the church is regressing mostly, in parts of the world that are mostly populated by white. And in America, by 2050, just 31 short years, which, if you're a certain age, that's not very long. That comes like that. In 2150, over 50% of the people who live in America will be people of color. Now, it seems to be true in our parish as well, if you look at the trends of the last 30 years. So, so looking at the slide, you see the different breakdown from 1990 census, 2000 census, 2010 and then what they estimate is 2018. Every population uh, people group is increasing by percentage, except for white people, that we're decreasing. Now, if your immediate reaction to that trend is, that's not good. I would ask you, brother or sister, to examine your heart this morning. Could there be some vestiges of white supremacy that you have picked up that exists in your heart because we're born with a sin nature that you've picked up from our culture that makes just the reality that our parish is darkening a bad thing. I confess that and repent of that this morning or, or if there's some fear rooted in being the ethnic majority, majority that's slipping away that that may influence you toward racial blindness or lack of racial awareness or just even blatant racism at times. To allow the Spirit to put His finger on that this morning and bring that to the surface so you can repent and confess and be forgiven as our God loves to do for those who confess and repent. Like Why would we think the browning of our ethnic demographic would be automatically a bad thing? Unless we've wrapped possibly too much of our identity or security into being the ethnic majority. Based on the makeup of our region, our current church makeup does not reflect the diversity of our region. I would say there's not a single church in Washtenaw Parish that reflects the diversity of our region. If there is one, please show me. I'll be glad to go and admit I was wrong and let's, let's learn from them. 
doesn't mean we turn to self-hate or self-flogging. We're such losers. The worst. But it does mean we recognize we're not there yet. And so let's continue to pray and press for this going forward. Not because we desire to simply check some politically correct, socially acceptable box or because we want to be known as the progressive or the enlightened people, but because our heart beats with the same passion as the heart of God for all people to know Jesus and be changed by him. And so we give our lives to get the gospel to as many people as possible so they can flourish. And so our city can flourish. So the kingdom of Jesus can spread as more and more people live for him and his kingdom. That is our mission because that is the mission of God among all people groups, among all cities and regions in the entire world. And because this is God's heart, we are his people. So it is our heart. Or is it? Or is it? Maybe it's possible. These are only intellectual or theological ideas that we've affirmed in our minds. And because of that, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that our hearts are engaged and our lives are engaged when it's just our minds thinking, oh, of course I agree with that. And as our hearts have been inflamed the past two weeks for God's word and engaging with God in prayer, our prayer today is that our hearts would be inflamed with God's love for all people. That would show up in how we live day by day. It would show up in the crossing being a church engaged in racial reconciliation and racial harmony in our city and our nation. Some of this may be hard to hear today, especially if you haven't been with the crossing very long. or Maybe you've never sat with us on a racial reconciliation Sunday. And so let's pray. We, we need God's help this morning. Father, we do ask for your spirit to come and to oversee everything that we experience this morning so that everything we experience would be of you. And whatever is not of you, help us to discern that and dismiss it. But what is of you and from you, even if it hurts, God, help us to receive it. And to know that there is no shame, there's no hiding, because you are a good father who loves to come and embrace the rebel and embrace your children who have run away from you on any issue. And so let us run. Let's run to you, your word, your spirit, your truth, and be cleansed. And be made new and have our hearts changed this morning. I am completely dependent upon you for that. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this to happen, we have to understand with our heads and embrace with our hearts that racial reconciliation, racial harmony are central to the heart and the mission of God. So that should show up in how we live our lives each day because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 says, so that his heart becomes our heart. And as we delight in the Lord, Psalm 37, 4 tells us, his desires become our desires. God will give you the desires of his heart, which doesn't mean he gives you what you want, but he gives you his desires. The Bible clearly shows the heart and mission of God is to create and call a people of all ethnic people to live as one. To such a degree that the only explanation for their unity is God. So that God alone gets the glory. And that can't happen if we believe it's more important to cling to ethnic homogeny or to live in a single ethnic world 
or live with racial blindness or live with racism. So let's take some time this morning to walk through some key passages that help us pursue this as a church, beginning in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is saying you Gentiles, and this is primarily the recipients of this letter of Ephesians, a letter written to a church and passed around to other churches. You Gentiles, you, were, you didn't come up with the heritage that we had as Jewish people. You didn't have the, the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't have the covenants of promise. You had no hope and with, without God in the world. And Paul says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Far off, referring to the Gentiles. Near, referring to the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Paul is encouraging unity in a diverse church. This is one of the key issues of animosity in the early church was Jew and Gentile. Had been throughout the the history of the Jews and Gentiles. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles, Gentiles didn't like the Jews. But now they've both been made one with Christ Jesus. I have no idea how to fix that, so we'll just deal with it. We made one with Christ Jesus. What? Nah, not yet. If it gets really bad. And, and because we're one with Christ Jesus, we're brothers and sisters made in one family that's going to last forever. And so we've got to learn to get along with each other within this thing called the body of Christ, within this thing called the local church. And not let those past cultural differences, religious differences, ethnic differences that have divided us continue to cause a problem. And this is God's mission. This is God's heart. This is what he's after. The mission of God is to bring peace between God and man and between man and man through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And that has to be the basis of this unity because it's the only thing that's deep enough to overcome the ethnic or religious differences that we have with people. And it's the only thing that's going to last forever. Every other foundation of unity doesn't last. It's not enough. We can cheer for the same teams. We can like the same food. We can listen to the same music. We can live in the same areas, but that's not enough to create a bond that is deep enough and long-lasting enough to truly make us one, to truly overcome what we have allowed to divide us. It's always been God's heart to do this. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God called one man, Abram, to leave his land and go to the new land, and through Abram, eventually Abraham, his offspring, with, uh, uh, his offspring, all of the world will be, will be blessed. Genesis twelve three says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we find out as Scripture unfolds that this offspring that he's referring to is Jesus. It's through Jesus and the gospel and the church that all the families of the nations and the earth would be blessed as the gospel spreads to all people. 
easier to see today and easier to see once Jesus came in his gospel ministry. It's harder to see in the Old Testament. Because it seems as though God only cared about his people, one people, the Jews, unless you really read the Old Testament. And while that is the story of the Old Testament, God working in and through his Jewish people, all through the Old Testament, we get hints that all along God's plan wasn't just to redeem or pour out his love on the Jews, but all people. So through the laws and regulations God gave his people after they left 400 years of slavery in Egypt, all through those laws and regulations that were intended not to constrict them, but to set them free to live as his people within the promised land, to make them distinct as his people among other peoples. All through those laws and commands, there are these, these little references to the, how to take care of the widow, the orphan, and the alien, the stranger in the land. And it was incredibly gracious. Like God intended to be just as gracious with those people as he was with his people. And when he was hard with his people, he was hard with those people as well. He didn't just let you do whatever you wanted to do because that's not flourishing. Full human freedom, doing whatever we want to do. I'm going to switch the handle. Full human freedom, doing whatever we want to do, is not human flourishing. But it's doing life God's way, as he's created us to do and called us to do. And so within those commands, this is how you treat the alien in the land, the stranger in the land, the non-Jew. By the time the Jews entered the land, God had promised them, God ordained that a non-Jewish prostitute, Rahab, would not only help the Jews conquer the first city they had to conquer, Jericho, but she would then marry into the Jews. And in fact, we learn in Matthew 1, she becomes part of the line of Christ, a Canaanite prostitute. So significant The Holy Spirit inspires Matthew to name her in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Christ. The same for Ruth, the non-Jewish Moabite widow who became the ancestor to King David and eventually Jesus. God shows mercy and heals Naaman, the Syrian general, throughout through the prophet Elijah. And the the book of Jonah is all about a a Jewish prophet's hatred of a different people group, ethnicity, the Assyrians. His hatred was so great, he ran away from God's call to go preach to them. Gets on a boat, runs away from God, eventually tries to kill himself. He didn't jump over the boat knowing the fish was going to swallow him. God graciously saves him through the fish, spits him out, says, all right, now go do the job I created you to do. He goes and does it. God has mercy. They repent. God spares them. And Jonah's still mad. Why would God do this? And God teaches Jonah, why do you think I care more about you than I care about them? Why do you think I I love just you people? I love all people. And I'm willing to have mercy on all who repent. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2. But the Lord will arise among you. Talking about Israel, the future glory of Israel. And his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. It's always been God's plan to spread his love, his gospel, his grace to all peoples. Now, we come into the ministry of Jesus, and he didn't keep his ministry just among the Jewish people. It began with them, yes, but then he spread his gospel among the hated Samaritans across the Sea of Galilee into the Gentile region of the Decapolis. And so it wasn't shocking when Jesus told his followers in Matthew 28, go therefore into all nations and make disciples. Nations, not geopolitical uh, boundaries on a map, but nations, ethnos, ethnic people groups. And he tells them in Acts chapter 1, 
And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what we saw unfold throughout the book of Acts. The gospel spread from Jerusalem to, the, 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 to Rome, which was the center of the earth at the time. From Rome, it would go to Spain, India, and everywhere else. And we've been seeing this unfold for the last 2,000 years. So the gospel is continually getting to more and more of these people groups. And this will culminate in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A people that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. Everybody, people from everybody will be standing around that throne one day. And the source of this peace between God and man, between man and man, is Jesus, the gospel, which allows us to be united in the deepest ways possible forever while being incredibly diverse. In fact, when we really get this, the mission of God, to have a family made up of everyone from everywhere. You not only celebrate this when you get to travel to other parts of the, the world and meet these brothers and sisters that you've never met, who are different than you, who can't speak the same language, don't eat the same food as you, but you've got this bond that's inexplicable apart from Jesus. Not only is that so beautiful, but when you're home, you're long for more diversity because something is missing. Something is lacking. We're not singing and worshiping like Revelation 7 yet, not just because we're not in heaven, but because we're missing some people. Some people who live in our region aren't worshiping with us. We're missing people of other tribes and, and perspectives and backgrounds. You see, that's the danger of being content with a homogenous body of believers. We're only getting part of the story. Something is missing because they're not with us and we aren't with them. We're missing their perspectives, their history and their stories of walking with God through the years. Our oldest got to take a trip with a friend and, and their family earlier this month and she was gone for like 10 days. It felt like 100. While we had fun and we, we enjoyed life as much as we could, something was missing in our family. And until she came home, there was this longing that we felt for reunion. And once she came home, okay, all is good. We're all back together again. In a similar way, we long for brothers and sisters to join our family. Primarily those who are lost and unchurched and don't even know Jesus and who would add to the kingdom diversity that we get to experience so that by God's grace, by God's will, as we obey him, the crossing reflects as much as possible the diversity of the kingdom of heaven and the diversity of our region. Not trying to reach quotas, but trying to reach people and reflecting the mission of God to reach all people. We're not holding back. But we all know this is not easy. Like human nature is not to pursue what is, com uh, is, not to pursue what is hard. Human nature is to pursue what is easy and comfortable. We pursue those who are like us. We hang around those who are like us and think like us. We become these echo canyons. There has to be something that will spur us beyond our, our desire for comfort and our fear of being uncomfortable. 
There's a reason that a well-known book, Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria, gets written and remains popular and continues to be experienced in all levels of culture. It's going to take intentionality and it might even take hard conversations with each other, especially when we intentionally or unintentionally demonstrate demonstrate ethnic favoritism or preference. Know that ethnic favoritism or preference and especially ethnic supremacy is not in step with the way of the gospel and must be confronted as we see in Galatians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2, just the book prior to Ephesians. Beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came with James, these are Jews, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, which is just a reference to the Jewish people. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I, Paul, saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What is in step with the gospel is confronting fellow believers about ethnic favoritism. Now, this was done in a very public way because Peter and Paul were the two public leaders of the church and Peter's sin was very public. And so there is a a time and a place for that. Most of this is going to happen in private conversations as we pull up alongside of each other, one-on-one, maybe two or three with one, as church discipline calls us to handle it. Or if somebody won't repent, then we take it to the elders and we take it to the church. But most of it's in private conversation. We pull along somebody we love and say, hey, do you you realize that when you say that, when you do that, when you you make that joke, you make that comment, you're ostracizing this group of people? And it's, it's not loving. It's not demonstrating the reality of Jesus Christ in you, the truth of the gospel in you. That's how it will be handled most of the time. Before moving to uh, West Monroe in 1989, I grew up in uh, North Baton Rouge. North Baton Rouge uh, in, in the 40s and 50s was the place where uh, mostly populated by white people. It was the, the growing area of the city where uh, the white people wanted to live, if you want to put it like that. And uh, by the time we lived there in the 80s, it was uh, a transitional neighborhood as what happened in Baton Rouge happened in all cities across the South and across the country, white flight. White people began to move to the suburbs. And so uh, I grew up in a neighborhood where um, white people were basically 60 and over, and all the young families in the neighborhood were black and are are people of color. Um, There might have been some Hispanic families. I don't really remember. The church that we were part of was a white church who had no interest in reaching the community. In fact, uh, black families would show up in the church, and there would be white leaders get up with their families and go home, and then later tell my dad, hey, we're not interested in that. And that church actually never wanted to reach the community and eventually died. Uh, and God redeemed that because the church was given to an African-American congregation that's now reaching the neighborhood that the other church for so long had ignored. But the, the church had been huge back in the 40s and 50s. It has this huge physical plant, uh, lots of buildings, lots of property. Think of like Parkview or College Place. And so um, I could either stay inside with my sisters, my three sisters, or I could go outside and play on all that property. And so I was always outside like riding bikes and, and playing ball uh, in these big fields. We had a basketball court in the parking lot. 
And when I go outside to play, I was typically the only white kid playing baseball, basketball, football, golf, whatever sports we were playing. Unless there were white kids who were visiting their grandmothers and grandfathers in the summer, then they would come play with us. But during the school year, I was it. And I uh, went to, to public schools in Baton Rouge where they were incredibly diverse. I look back at pictures of birthday parties and so forth, and uh, I'm amazed even today at the, the diversity, not just uh, from the black population, but from the Asian population. Um, Baton Rouge was very diverse back in that time. And so you would say, <clears throat> my parents would, you know, wouldn't discourage this, like, yeah, go play, go have fun, doesn't, doesn't matter what they look like, uh, the color of their skin, just go enjoy yourself, uh, be home. Uh, before dark, don't go past this street, don't go past that street, but stay within this general region. And so you would say, well, that's the way you would want to raise a kid for a kid to be loving and accepting of all people, right? That's the kind of background you want them to have. Yet there I was in a band room as a freshman at Westmore High School, standing around with a group of friends telling a joke that I had heard from I don't know where, that everybody I had heard tell it got laughs, and I thought I was a little comedian and I wanted to make people laugh. So I told the joke, but nobody laughed. And I was very confused. Like, why is that not funny? It was funny to everybody else. Only to be told that there was a guy standing in that group of of friends who had parents that were different ethnicities. And the joke was particularly insensitive to him. So as nobody laughed and he walks off in sadness, I went and pursued him, said, hey, man, look, I'm sorry. You know, but what could I say, right? There's nothing I could say. You can't put those words back in your mouth. You can't uh, 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 undetonate a bomb that's exploded. The damage has been done. So I became part of his story of racial trauma. When he thinks about the way he was treated because he was a person of color, he has this story about this stupid little freshman when he was a senior in high school telling this insensitive joke. And, and, and I needed brothers and sisters at that moment, thankfully I had that, to come alongside and say, dude, that's not funny. You can't tell jokes like that. Now, our reaction is not, okay, let's retreat to our white huddles so we can continue to tell the jokes because they're really funny. That's not the reaction. Our reaction can't be, but man, it was just a joke. I wasn't trying to hurt somebody. I was just trying to make people laugh. Our reaction has to be repentance. Has to be God breaking our hearts and pursuing him in righteousness. You see, in whatever ways we are blind to the ways in which we push away marginalized or ostracized people who are different than us, we need brothers and sisters who love us enough to call us out. Not so we can retreat to the safety of our white world, but so our hearts can go above and beyond to build bridges to those who are different. Tabidi Anabawali was asked what message he would give, he's a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area, what pastor he would give white evangelical church pursuing racial reconciliation And he encouraged them to see that we bear a great weight in this. It can't be us just sitting up in our majority position waiting for people to come to us to pursue reconciliation. It has to be us taking the initiative to pursue this. We can't sit in our majority position as we've sat for the entire history of our nation with all the racial baggage of our nation. Puritans that we love to read who own slaves. Founding fathers that are almost deified by some in the church who own slaves. Pulpits throughout the nation advocating for the biblical right to continue the practice of slavery. The creation of the African-American church, which was only necessary because the white church didn't let them worship with themselves. Jim Crow laws, segregation, 
We can't ignore that part of our history and not blindly claim, and blindly claim innocence while we, you know, we weren't alive during then. It wasn't my fault. I, I, if I was there, I would have done something different. I'm not responsible for what they did before. We can't just blindly claim innocence because we weren't alive when those things were going on. We're, we're alive now. And things are happening now. Are we, are we owning that? Are we seeking re- repentance now for that? Let's admit and own up the sins of our spiritual ancestors. Here's what they got right. Here's where their blind spots were so that we don't make the same mistakes because we don't know history. And so God's spirit church help us to do that better. As a white church, it's on us to take the initiative. It's not on us to sit around and just wait for other people to take the initiative. The scary thing, the really scary thing is we don't have to do anything. We can choose to do nothing. And, and honestly, it may not really affect that much how we live our life or how we function as a church. There's plenty of people to reach without dealing with these issues. And so we could retreat to comfort and ease. But if we see racial reconciliation as central to the heart and the mission of God, we can't retreat. We have to press forward because it's, it's God desiring this for our region, for our city, for us, because there's people missing. Romans 14, thirdly, third passage, Romans 14. Romans 14 and 15, Paul is dealing with a, an issue within that church that was also an issue rooted in their cultural and religious differences. Is it okay to eat meat that had been offered to idols? Now, if you were with us last year, 1 Corinthians, that sounds familiar. Very same exact issue Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul's going to walk them through how you deal with that and how you navigate that as a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. But he begins in Romans 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. To welcome him who is different. In this case, the strong and weak. Strong being those who think it's okay to eat meat off of idols. Weak being those who don't. Not desiring to make a straight comparison between strong and weak or white or black in our racial reconciliation conversation. But simply to see how Paul built his argument on this opening statement of hospitality, embrace, and empathy. No matter how you're divided along cultural lines, welcome in the one you don't agree with. Welcome in the one you struggle to get along with. Even if the struggle is among white brothers and sisters. And some people are much more comfortable with this conversation and want to engage in this conversation. And some people aren't and don't really like it. Even along those lines, welcome in the one you don't agree with. Not to quarrel, but to have a meal and to talk and discuss and and, and empathize with each other to understand each other. As we pursue this as a church of individuals and families, we cannot be humble or empathetic enough. There's no limit to the amount of humility and empathy that we need to experience and express, that we need to share. Brian Loritz, who is a pastor who is black in California of a multi-ethnic congregation, gives a great illustration to help us understand empathy. He said, being white in America is like having two arms. We don't even think about it because it's just normal life. But imagine that people of color were people with just one arm. We have no idea what it's like to live with one arm, but as we engage in relationships with those not like us, we can learn and try to empathize, which is far better than just ignoring 
are being apathetic, are not engaging. In fact, in that video, he goes on to share a story of a, a white lady in his church who came and asked him and his elders, who are mostly black, to pray over her because she's leading um, the Donald Trump presidential campaign's outreach arm in that part of California. And this is back in 16 when everything was just blowing up, knowing all the hostilities that might come about in those conversations. But he, he empathized. He saw her as someone he could learn from and invite her in to the meeting of the elders to pray over her as she carries out this role, recognizing that he needed her in his life as much as she needed him in her life. I'll never be a black man in America. I'll never be a black man in the South. There's no way I'll ever truly know what that experience is like. But as I welcome those who are different than me and I listen and I learn, I ask questions and seek to understand, I can demonstrate to them the humility and empathy of Christ who wasn't distant from us, but came from heaven to earth to so identify with us that he could be called our great sympathizing high priest who knows exactly what it's like to walk in our shoes and be tempted in every way yet without sin. He is now the advocate for us. Now, we're not Jesus, but his life, the life of Jesus is in us. We won't do it perfect like Jesus, but own the mistakes that we're going to make, the dumb things that we will say, the stupid questions we will ask. Just own it. Nobody's expecting us to be perfect in this. But we can learn and we can lean in and we can do well enough to show genuine love, humility and empathy. I was listening to one podcast recently and a guy was uh, speaking to where this is advancing in parts of the country that he was aware of. And, and he said it's advancing and getting better in parts of the country where people are having conversations. Not blowing up social media with everybody's opinion that's not changing anybody's mind, but actually sitting down with people and having conversations. Well, I don't see color. I just think it's best to be colorblind. I've been told that by white people. I've been told that by black people. The only problem with that is it's not reality. Nor does it reflect the heart of God who doesn't wipe away our ethnic distinctions when we're in heaven. Why would we wipe them away now? Instead, why don't we celebrate what makes us different? Value and appreciate what makes us different while seeing the bond that we have in Christ as greatest. Or we could really all put on blindfolds and start stumbling around, right? But we've seen that movie. We know how that turns out. Lastly, we see in John chapter 4, the heart of God in John chapter 4. We don't have time to walk through the entire passage, but beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's wells were there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, uh, under, if you know this story, then you're very familiar with what happens next. If, you're not, if you don't know this story, I would encourage you to read this later on. But Jesus meets this woman by the well. At noon, she couldn't come earlier in the day when all the other women from the town came because she was living such a scandalous life. She'd had so many husbands and was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. Incredibly scandalous. Jesus meets her at the well and asks her for a drink. 
which was scandalous because, yes, he was a Jewish rabbi and she was a scandalous woman, but mostly because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Just like Jews and Greeks, they didn't like each other. Samaritans, knowing the history of them, they were a group of people that, uh, after the Assyrians in 722 conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, they repopulated the land with a mixture of all kinds of people from all the other lands that they had conquered. So the Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jews, were half-breeds. They weren't full-blooded Jews. And the Jews hated them so much that they wouldn't speak with them, they wouldn't worship with them, they wouldn't convene with them, they would never share a meal with them or share a cup of water. Jesus deals with none of this. He just wants a cup of water. He's asking for a relationship before he deals with the issues that divide them, before he reveals that he's the Messiah. And sometimes that's what we need to do, just share meals with people who are different than us. Before you ever get in a conversation, just hang out, eat meals, have drinks, share life with people who are different than us. That, that can be where it begins. Now, she's so shocked, shocked that Jesus, being a Jewish man, would speak to her. And Jesus goes on through this conversation, reveals himself as the Messiah, and she believes and she comes alive in Christ. She runs back to the town, not with a pitcher of water in her head, but with a wellspring of life and water in her heart. And she tells the entire town to come and see this man who told me everything I'd ever done. And yet he still loved her and still wanted a relationship with her. And Jesus spends the entire weekend in this town and the gospel spreads to some of the people that were most hated by the Jews. And that's obvious from verse four, where it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the geography of the land was to get from Jerusalem and Judea in the south, the Sea of Galilee in the north. You, you, you take a straight route, which is through Samaria, or you do what most Jews do, do and you take a detour on foot or by animal. You take a detour like going from here to Missouri by way of of uh, uh, Mississippi, because you don't like the people who live in Arkansas. Right. And so uh, I got to go way around to avoid those people. And that's what Jews would do in a, in, a, in a time where you would travel on foot. There's no efficiency here. No, no three on the Enneagrams here doing this. Just people who are so filled with hatred for another group of people that they're willing to go way out of their way, put themselves way out in order to avoid these people, except for Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew he would meet this woman by the well, and he would reveal himself as Messiah and share his love, the love of God with her, because Jesus was on mission, his father's mission, to share his love with as many people as possible and to demonstrate the glory of God through his life, death, resurrection. This was the heart of God. Could it be that the heart of God in the city of Monroe, the parish of Washita, the, the, the Washita, a parish that's still divided by racial tensions, could it be that God is wanting to work through his people to help bridge the divide so that through a diverse gathering of believers who not only share the same worship space, but share meals around the same tables and parties in the same backyards in order to demonstrate his glory and his gospel, which builds stronger bonds between us than the ways in which we try to stay divided. How beautiful it would be in our city to see this. To see our city united by Jesus in the gospel. To see a church in our city united by Jesus in the gospel. I have friends and acquaintances who pastor black churches. They desire the same thing. They want the same thing. How much glory would God get if it actually happened? And it wasn't like forced or faked or just ceremonial for like one day. Look at us all together. But it was a work of the Spirit. 
and it was real. Why can't and why shouldn't the church be at the head of this? In fact, in the history of our nation, when good things have happened in this issue of racial reconciliation, often it's been the church out front. And when things have not progressed in this issue of racial reconciliation in our nation's history, it's usually the church who is either silent or opposed. So, so what will we be? Who will the crossing be on this issue in our, in our city? Guys, this is a long journey that, that we must begin and continue with the long game in mind. Some of us might not see it in our lifetime. It might be our kids or grandkids who actually see this happen in our city. But it's a journey we have to continue on because it's so much in line with the heart and the mission of God. What we believe God desires for flourishing in the city of Monroe and the region of Ouachita Parish. So what are some good next steps? Well, uh, I would first examine your heart and see if your heart is in line with the heart of God on this. Not your head. I mean, your head, yes. You think these are true, yes. But does your heart desire this as much as your head affirms this? Because if your heart really desires this, then it's going to show up in how you live your life. Because we basically do what our heart desires. We do what we love. So does your heart desire this? Do you really want this? If so, then begin to pray and ask the Spirit to show you next steps. Guaranteed, He will answer that prayer. You want, you want to answer the prayer? Pray this. He will show you next steps. And then, and then I would advise to do this in community. If you're eager for this, and, and I would plead with you, like if this makes you really uncomfortable, even angry this morning, or you just want to push back on this, or there's just parts of this that you're like, I'm just not okay with a lot of this. I feel like this is being forced on me. Don't run from those feelings of uncomfortability, uh, being uncomfortable or anger. Don't run from that. Just own it. And then get with some brothers and sisters. Don't run from community, but get with some brothers and sisters and just confess that. Like, look, this, this is why this makes me uncomfortable. Tell me what I'm missing. And then we begin to work through those things in community. God's people. Figuring this out together. Praying about this together reading about this together, listening to things together, and then working to see it happen in our context together. Gathering DNAs and missional communities among friends and begin discussing what would it look like for a white church to begin to take active steps to pursue racial reconciliation in our city. Instead of gathering just in our white huddles and ignoring an issue that we can't ignore, we engage and we learn and we listen and we build relationships. If I told you next week I'll give $1,000 to anyone who takes tangible steps in this issue in your life. Read a book, listen to a sermon, have a conversation, pray, read the Bible, whatever. I'll give $1,000 to every person who does something tangible next Sunday. There will be a line all the way out of this building. A very disappointed line, by the way. So it's really not an ability issue, is it? It's a desire issue. It's a heart issue. What does God need to do to give us a heart to desire what he desires? That all people would know Jesus by having a relationship with him, by following him, being changed by his gospel. Father, we're so thankful that you are gracious and kind to teach us and instruct us and to love us so patiently. And I know this issue in this room with this many people 
we're, we're all over the place this morning. But I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin, which heals and forgives and restores and allows us to flourish as your people, the gospel of Jesus Christ would just invade this room this morning. No one would run from this in shame or anger, but we would run to you for cleansing and forgiveness. We would run to community, the community of God's people, where it's, it's safe to be a mess because there's unconditional love and the healing balm of the gospel to help work through this in each of our hearts and minds. I thank you for the people that you have ordained would be here today to hear this, not an accident, but ordained by you and the desires that you have for us to engage this in the various parts of the city that we live. And we pray you would help us. For the glory of Christ alone, do this work in and through your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand as we sing.